There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the, the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. Nothing beats a romantic getaway, especially when you're young and in love. On June 5th, 1960, the aftermath of a romantic getaway would solidify itself in Finnish folklore and, to this day, raise a lot of questions and a lot of eyebrows. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. It was the summer of 1960, and two young couples set out on a sweetheart's retreat along the shore of Finland's Lake Bottom. 15-year-olds Mela Ermeli Bjorklund and Anya Tuliki Maki were in this young, blissed-out period of their relationships with 18-year-olds Seppo Ontario Boisman and Nils Wilhelm Gustafsson. So a romantic getaway seemed like a fun idea. On Saturday, June 4th, 1960, the four teens made a camp just along the shore and at some point in the night retreated into the tent to go to sleep, having no idea that three out of the four of them were about to be embroiled in one of the most famous unsolved homicides in Finnish history. On the morning of June 5th at around 6 a.m., a group of boys were birdwatching when they saw a collapsed tent across the way and a blonde man staggering around. Thinking nothing of it, they simply went on their way. It wasn't until a carpenter found the bloody scene a few hours later that he alerted the police. When they arrived, they found the bloody bodies of Mela, Anya, and Seppo still inside of the tent, and Nils remarkably surviving the apparent attack and lying next to Mela. A closer look at the scene determined that all three victims died from stabbing and blunt force trauma, all experienced while they were sleeping. The killer, from what they could figure, never even entered the tent, instead stabbing blindly through the canvas walls and more than likely using a rock to beat them through the sides of the tent, though neither murder weapon has ever been found. The only difference between the three bodies was that Myla, who was Nils's girlfriend, was found undressed from the waist down with her body on top of the tent. It also seemed that, while she was attacked similarly, she had more injuries than her friends. When police spoke with Nils, who walked away with fractured facial bones and some stab wounds, he said he only saw a glimpse of their attacker, who came sometime between 4 a.m. when they went to sleep and 6 a.m. when the boys saw the scene, and that he was clothed in black and bright red. Missing from the scene were some of the teen's personal belongings, including wallets and just the keys to their motorcycles, not the bikes themselves. And what would soon become a very important piece of this puzzle, Nils's shoes, which were found 500 meters away from the site. When examined, investigators realized that whoever the attacker was, he was wearing Nils's shoes when he murdered the lovers. Almost immediately, suspicions were cast on Nils, and almost immediately, Forensic evidence for the case was mishandled. Like when the police failed to cordon off the site or record any of the crime scene details and let crowds of people, police officers and others, walk through the scene disturbing and destroying evidence that wasn't collected in time. This was made worse when they called in soldiers to assist with the search and look for the stolen items, none of which knew protocol for protecting evidence or preserving the crime scene. 
But even with all of their assistance, none of the stolen items were ever located, and the scene was left completely contaminated. The case had all at once started to go cold, and though many have theories on who they think is responsible, there are no suspects serving time for this triple murder. But like all cold cases, there is a list of suspects who may look good for the case, but don't have enough of a connection to warrant an arrest. Men like Penti Sonanini, a violent offender who confessed to the murders at the age of 14 while serving time in prison for another offense. He was questioned by police during which time he said he was living near the murder site, but in the end, they declared him a psychopath who was trying to get attention. He hanged himself in 1969 on the anniversary of the Lake Bottom murders. There was Carl Valdemar Glustrom, the local kiosk keeper who was known to be hostile towards campers. He hated them and was known as a violent man who would cut down campers' tent and throw rocks at people from the street. According to sources, Carl saw the crime scene before anyone else did, but claimed to be too afraid to call the police. The police found no evidence connecting him to the crimes, having never tested his DNA, and finding nothing when they searched his property after he suspiciously filled his well days after the murder. He supposedly confessed a number of times before drowning in Lake Bottom in 1969. Just before her death, Carl's wife, who provided him with the alibi for the night of the murder, claimed she only did so because he threatened her life. Another valid suspect was a man named Hans Asman, who lived several kilometers from the shore of Lake Bottom. Several books have been dedicated to proving the rumored KGB spy's guilt in not just the Lake Bottom murders, but a handful of others. But the police never took his guilt seriously since he had an alibi for the night of the murders. But on June 6th, 1960, he showed up to a hospital in Helsinki wearing bloody clothing with fingernails black from dirt. Clothes that were never tested despite Hans matching the description given by the bird watchers as the blonde man seen staggering from the crime scene. Here he died as soon as newspapers publicized that bit of information. Then in 2004, a small break came in the case that allowed for a sensational, albeit short-lived arrest that most people saw coming. Nils Gustafsson was arrested 44 years after the murder of his friends, after, as far as the public knew, not even being a suspect in the murders. Claiming the case was solved by new forensic evidence, Nils was brought to court on August 4, 2005, and tried for the murder of his friends and girlfriend. According to the prosecution, Nils had been drunk the night of the attacks and kicked out of the tent when he started a fight with Seppo, which they claimed explained his fractured face bones. If Nils was the killer, it would also explain how his shoes had each of the three victims' DNA, though it should be mentioned that Nils' DNA was absent from the shoes, therefore indicating to the prosecution that his attack took place at a separate time from the others, possibly self-inflicted. The defense, however, asserted that there was no way, given his injuries, that Nils could have taken on three people that he was barefoot when he was found after the attack, so the killer must have stolen his shoes and wore them while committing the murders. Not just that, but that he had no motive to kill his girlfriend, let alone the two other friends. The court must have agreed because on October 7th, 2005, Nils Gustafsson was acquitted on all charges, with them citing that the prosecution's evidence was inconclusive and gave no motive for such an extreme crime. 
The state of Finland paid him 44,900 euro for his suffering and released him as a free man, though suspicions for many still remain. To this day, no one knows exactly who committed the Lake Bottom murders. And in the end, it's a tragic story that remains part of Finnish folklore, where it is likely to remain for a very long time. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please show me again tomorrow to see what terrible thing happened on June 6th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.